Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney. Um, Eric, we have to start with the important news. As Showtime podcasters, obviously people are looking to us for information. We've heard the rumors regarding Showtime programming. We know what you all are wondering. We can tell you there is no need for concern. Every bit of evidence and information that we have is that fellow travelers will be debuting on Showtime on October 29th as planned and extending into 2024 as planned. <laughs> That's right. The the, the eight-part limited series is coming to Showtime, so uh, rest easy, fans of period love stories and political thrillers, fellow travelers starring 2014 Emmy nominee Matt Bomer and uh, Bridgerton's Jonathan Bailey, based on the novel of the same name by Thomas Mallon, will be available on broadcast and streaming in just a few weeks. And um, yeah, I think that's it for Showtime-related rumors we need to address, right, yep. Kieran? Yep. Glad we could set that straight. Obviously, I know it's been on people's minds. <laughs> Um, yeah, good to be able to get that out the way right at the top of the podcast. It was a real, so, it was a real elephant in the room, but we've, we've dealt with was. it. And, um, uh, but in all, in all seriousness, of course, we have uh, heard the same rumors. Everyone else uh, is reporting and mentioning on their podcasts. Uh, just say there's a lot of uncertainty. Nobody really knows anything for sure yet, but what we do know for sure is that this podcast will continue as scheduled, at least through the end of the year. And then, you know, fingers crossed that there's more beyond that. Well, you know what? I'm glad that you're that confident. I feel only confident that it will make it will make it to the end of this podcast. And I th- honestly, that's how I've lived, really, right. since since we first started podcasting together. <laughs> Every additional podcast is a bonus. OK, that's, that's the way I look. at that's it. That's one way to view it. And I suppose the people listening who have as they're listening, you know, they're looking at their 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 podcast app and it's showing them the time remaining. And so they know if it's showing you an hour or so to go, then indeed, Kieran was right. We made it to the other podcast. If there's right. like three minutes left, then we don't realize it now as I'm saying this, but we actually didn't even make it to the end of the podcast. I just hope that if that's what happens, um, there's a record scratch edited in right at the very end. And that's I, how it all that's how it all ends. Well, I, I am the editor, so I will gladly put in ah, a record scratch. If, if, if somehow we don't make it to the end of this podcast, I assure you, Karen, it shall end with a record scratch. Right. Either that or if you start suddenly hearing that the don't stop believing gradually. Coming <laughs> wrong, up network. Nope, wrong network. No, wrong network. Come on, you couldn't come up uh, with like a Dexter reference there instead? Come on, Kieran. You Get know, with I the never program. saw Dexter, actually. Right. I never saw Dexter. Um, let me think. I mean, there could be some kind of Homeland reference. I mean, I am the one person who stuck with that for the very That's end. That's true. That's true. You, ha- you have that credit. Uh, and as, yeah. as you may remember, I came back just to watch the series finale, but otherwise, uh, yes. otherwise missed the last four and a half seasons or so of that one probably made the wiser choice but there we go uh coming up on this week's podcast we will look at the latest news including a return fight for ryan garcia and an odd rumor about canelo's next outing i'll provide my list of the top five boxers under the age of 25 and eric will test me with another edition of the fight game but first next week in queensland australia tim zoo makes his third outing of the year as he takes on the dangerous ryan mendoza yeah, after taking care of Tony Harrison and Carlos Acampo in two previous contests this year, uh, both also broadcast as Showtime International events like this one is, Zhu takes on what appears to be much tougher opposition, at, at least much tougher than Ocampo and possibly much tougher yeah. than Harrison too, in the form of Mendoza, who brings a record of 22-2 and with 16 knockouts and is coming off a spectacular KO win over previously undefeated Sebastian Fundora. Kieran, Zoo is 23-0 with 17 knockouts, and he's been looking more and more impressive with each outing. How dangerous of an opponent is Mendoza? And if the American is going to score an upset, how's he going to do it? Yeah, Mendoza is dangerous. And and he's dangerous partly for that most dangerous of reasons. He is full of self-confidence and form right now. Um, Since losing on points to Jesus Ramos in September 2021, and in a fight he took on very short notice, by the way, he's 3-0 with three KOs, and the last two have been particularly impressive. A KO5 over Jason Rosario in November last year, and then, as you mentioned, his KO of Sebastian Pandora in April. Um, Mendoza can box, he can certainly punch, and he can put on pressure, but I think if he's going to score an upset of Zoo, he's going to have to a little like he did against Fandora, walk through some fire to do it. Um, I have a bit of a hard time seeing him winning a decision against Zoo, and, and not just because the fight is in Queensland. I, I just struggle. 
a little to picture a situation in which he's able to outwork and outbox and outhustle Zoo over right. 12 rounds. Zoo's got an excellent offense and it's very consistent. Um, it's difficult to outthrow him and, and outpunch him over the full distance, but he has shown periodic lapses in concentration that have allowed his defense to be pierced. And he has one of those. And Mendoza is able to capitalize on it, then the Australian could suddenly find himself in a bit of trouble. Remember, he went down the very first round against Terrell Gaucher, who's not famed for his KO uh, power before Zeus stormed back to win the rest of the fight. Um, I think if I were Mendoza, the first step is to, you know, come out and really press Zoo early. See if he can catch him cold or break through before he's had a chance to get into his rhythm. And then if he doesn't get anywhere with that, uh, then he has to be prepared, I think, to settle him for the long haul, try and pick his spots. Be prepared to lose a few rounds, maybe several rounds in a row, but try and work an opening between Zoo's punches to, to land clear counters when Zoo is either looking to throw or is resetting after a combination. I, I do think he's going to have to overpower Zoo if he's going to win. It's going to be a tough ask for Mendoza, but he's a tough guy, and uh, he is on a rich vein of form, full of confidence. I don't think this is going to be an easy task by any means um, for Tim Zhu. But one of the things about Zhu is he's clearly not afraid of taking on tough challenges. Mm. Um, at the end of last year, he was set to open 2023 with the fight he'd wanted for a while, a challenge of unified junior middleweight champion Jamel Charlo on January 28th. That fell through when Charlo broke his left hand. Um, Charlo set out 2023 until he surprisingly emerged as Canelo Alvarez, his September opponent, as we know. Um, while Zoo kept busy and winning. Um, and I guess I have an open-ended question for you, really. Before he fought Harrison, I'm pretty sure I had and expressed doubts about the wisdom of that move, thinking he'd be better off waiting for Charlo or taking the softer touch. But he has dared to bet on himself. Uh, and he's entering the Mendoza fight with a bigger and better reputation than this time 12 months ago. Uh, Charlo, on the other hand, took a different kind of risk. He took on Canelo, and he fell way short last week, putting in a pretty disappointing effort. Um Two different ways of betting on yourself, two different outcomes. As a result of all that, Eric, is Zoo now the favorite over Charlo if he gets past Mendoza? And, and based on what we saw from Charlo last week, is Mendoza, is Mendoza actually potentially a bigger challenge than Jamel for Zoo? Hmm. Crazy to imagine a week ago that you would even be asking that question. But, yeah. you know, that is how disappointing Charlo's performance against Canelo was. I'm nevertheless inclined to brush the question off. Uh, I think, you know, we saw Jermel at his worst against an opponent yeah. where it turned out he was in over his head and apparently wasn't interested in trying too hard to win as a result. Um, mm -hmm. But in every other Jermel Charlo fight, even his loss to Tony Harrison, which was debatable decision, his draw against Brian Castaño, even in those fights, he's been a much better fighter than the one we just saw. And I think a fighter at least a half level above Mendoza. So, no, Mendoza shouldn't be tougher for Zoo than Charlo would be. Um, the other question of if he's now the favorite, if, if uh, Zoo is now the favorite over Charlo, that, that's tough. It, it assumes, as you said, that Zoo beats Mendoza. So if he's coming off wins over Mendoza, Ocampo, Harrison, and Gachet, and during that same time span, Charlo has fought once and lost in lousy fashion to Canelo, this gets pretty close. Um, mm. I, I'm, I might even say that if Charlo Zhu happened in Australia, I could see Zhu maybe being favored on neutral turf or somewhere in the U.S. Eh, not quite, but it, it is close. In a scenario where Zhu beats Mendoza solidly this Saturday, I think Charlo is only like a minus 150 favorite coming into that fight, and Zoo is like a plus 120 underdog, something like that. Um, it, it's getting close. And I do want to just pause a second to say a word about what you were saying there in setting up that question about, about Tim Zoo betting on himself this year, as he mm -hmm. has. Now, even if he starches Mendoza in one round, he's probably not going to be named the fighter of the year. But as long as he does beat Mendoza in whatever fashion... He should be a top nominee for Fighter of yeah. the Year. He should be on that shortlist. To have three wins over quality opposition while he could have been sitting, waiting for a singular title shot and payday, it has to be recognized. Um, he also, let's not forget, fought 
very shortly after a serious dog bite that could reasonably have caused yeah. him to postpone. Tim Zhu is a real fighter. He wants to fight. He doesn't mess around. And so I just want to salute the guy. Um, much has been said over the years about boxers acting as businessmen. Zhu has not done that. And yet it's been excellent for his business and his brand so far. He's taken risks. They've paid off. He's being rewarded. And he really deserves to be commended for every decision he's made this year, assuming he beats Mendoza Saturday, of course. Yeah. You know, if not, we'll second guess the shit out of him next week. <laughs> um so, all right, on that note, Kieran, let, let's make our picks. Uh, we both fared poorly with our picks on the pay-per-view last week, uh, and you especially. So uh, you now trail me 69 to 65. Let's try to get ourselves back on track by nailing some picks here. You're up first. Uh, what does this fight look like and who wins? So, like I said, I, I think Mendoza should try to start strong, try to use his strength, uh, impose himself, uh, gain Zoo's respect early, um, maybe try to take the crowd out of it a little bit uh, and also i think one of the advantages of, of really trying to get in there and get his licks in early is that that subliminally says to the judges that he more than belongs in that ring and that he deserves is going to deserve credit for the work that he does um you know and he could conceivably uh rattle sue once or twice in the early going but i i've really I wasn't too sure about Tim Zhu a year ago. I'm becoming increasingly sure about him yeah. now. He, he's really beginning to show, I think, that he has the potential to be a pretty special fighter. And, and I imagine he'll make his own adjustments and gradually get into a groove where his own offense starts taking over. He, he's, he really, if you allow him to get into an offensive rhythm, Tim Zhu, you're definitely going to be in some trouble. Yeah. I, I, I think his combination punching will start to overwhelm Mendoza's more limited offense. But Mendoza is going to come into this as a slightly larger man. He's also... I don't, So I don't necessarily see him being overwhelmed. He's also never been down. And while I can see Zoo being the first to drop him, I don't know that he definitely will. I, this is ultimately... Both guys have real heart. Both guys have got real dog in them. This is going to come down to skill and talent. And, and I just think Zoo has more of that, quite a bit more of that than Mendoza. Uh, Mendoza's going to continue to have his moments when he breaks through Sue's offense with, with flashes of power. But I think those moments will become fewer and farther in between as the fight progresses. Um, I see Zoo like, being up four rounds to two or so at the halfway mark, but being less and less troubled as it, as it goes on. I, I could see a stoppage. But you know what? Mendoza's durable. And, and I think he'll be there at the end. But he will be pretty marked up, I think. And, and Zoo will emerge with a very clear unanimous decision. Okay. Um, to me, in this fight, Mendoza is simultaneously dangerous as hell and made to order at the same time. And right. and we saw both parts of that on display in his fight with Fundora, right? Uh, you know, for six rounds, he was hanging in there, trying, punching back, getting some things done, but losing every round. Uh, and then he broke through with one left hook. Fundora was just about out on his feet. Perfect right hand ended him. And... Hey, you know, that could happen to Tim Zhu also. Um, but it's doubtful to me, as it is to you. Zhu appears sturdier than Fundora. He has heavier hands, which means if Mendoza loses the first six rounds or so, he'll have taken a fair amount of punishment and gotten worn down along the way. I just, you know, it's it's basically what, what you were saying. Tim Zhu has turned me into a believer. I, I had my skepticism going into the Gachet fight. You may recall I made the big Gachet upset pick that looked brilliant for one round and not so brilliant for the next 11. Um, I've backed down on my skepticism of Zhu since then. He's, he's legit. Um, now, his dad happens to be the classic example, which I think I've mentioned before, of the moment that I got fully on board he immediately <laughs> lost to Ricky Hatton. So so Tim Zhu should be nervous that I'm fully on board now, but <laughs> I am. And um, I think he will actually stop Mendoza. Uh, probably not like a true knockout. I think more a case of he lands so many good punches that the accumulation causes swelling or causes concern in the corner. And eventually someone decides it's a good idea to stop the fight. So I am picking Tim Zhu by TKO in round 10. Okay. There is also a televised co-feature on this broadcast. It's in the 122-pound division between undefeated Australian Sam Goodman, 15-0, 7 KOs, and veteran Miguel Flores, 25-4-1 with 12 stoppage wins. 
Kieran, tell the fine folks listening a little bit about both of these fighters. So Sam Goodman looks like he could be for real. Uh, his last two wins were against quality opponents, former titleist TJ Doheny and previously undefeated Ray Salim. Uh, he doesn't have a tremendous amount of power, but he should be able comfortably, I think, to overcome uh, Flores. Uh, Flores has just one win in the last four years. That was via split decision against an opponent who'd only won one of his previous seven and would go winless in his next 16. This is an odd matchup. Um, and, and seemingly a bit of a mismatch. Flores has only fought at 122 or below twice, and not at all since 2009. He's fought mostly at 126 and 130, but the draw on his resume came at lightweight against our buddy Abner Mares, who was attempting a comeback after four years and three months. We saw that fight. We commented on that fight. Um, Abner did not look great. Um, but he did say to Flores that he brings a lot of pressure, almost always ends his combinations with a left hand, um, he also says that Flores doesn't fight well on the back foot and that had he, had Mares had better conditioning, he might have been able to do more to push him onto that back foot and even get him out of there. So, um, you know, Abner recognizing that Flores has some strengths, uh, but also real weaknesses. And it, it's a slightly odd matchup, like I said, particularly at this weight. Uh, you'd have to figure that Goodman's going to come into this as the favorite. So, um I kind of set that up for you to make a pick, and uh, I assume you're picking Flores by knockout. After that. <laughs> I am not in this case. I am. My pick is in line with what you were just saying. Um, I, I was impressed with Sam Goodman last time out against Raiz Salim. I mean, how could you not be? He he beat Raiz Salim. That's no small feat. Even if I thought it was a, a much closer fight than a couple of the judges did. This would appear on paper an easier fight for Goodman. Flores has been very inactive, and you know when you're a pressure fighter. No, I think activity, staying sharp, I think that sort of thing is important. Uh, Goodman handled Aleem's pressure. He made mid-fight adjustments when sort of a jabbing and boxing style wasn't working so well. He stepped up and started really fighting. He's young. He's confident. I doubt he'll have a ton of trouble with Flores. Um, But Goodman isn't a big puncher. So even though Flores has been stopped in three of his four losses... I'm making what I think is probably the chalk pick here, the the relatively straightforward pick. I'm going with Goodman by unanimous decision. How about you? Interesting. So I picked decision and you picked KO. You picked decision. I'm going to pick the stoppage here. Um, I do think Goodman should be able to take Flores apart. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about, you know, the fact that Flores has has fought predominantly at at 130 or thereabouts. Does that mean that, particularly given that Goodman doesn't have much power, that Flores should be able to withstand him? I honestly wonder how much that going down to 122 is going to weaken Flores. Um, I, I would not be surprised for that reason if this is one of Goodman's relatively rare stoppages. Somewhat, as you said, with the main event, this isn't going to be a knock him spark out kind of a thing. This is going to be Flores just not able to get out of the way of Goodman's punches, I think. And there being a corner stoppage kind of a deal when his guy's obviously getting nowhere. Uh, and I'm going to say round seven for that for sam goodman all right okay uh moving on uh we don't have much in the way of news this week so before we get to this week's news items let's actually look ahead to the one other fight of consequence that's next weekend in rosenberg texas on espn it's middleweight unification time as yanabek alim canola takes on vicenzo galtieri um the undercard features up-and-comers Keyshawn davis richard torres jr and the son of our buddy, El Diamante Raul Marquez, Giovanni Marquez. Uh, Eric, am I the only one more interested in seeing the prospects on the undercard than the main event? And uh, relatedly, what the heck happened to the middleweight division? <laughs> so I, th- I think I'm going to zag, actually, on this uh, okay. on, on this Alim Canuli galtieri fight. Uh, not that I think it's particularly good or that I'm excited about this fight or anything, but from the moment it was announced... We and everyone else has ragged on how ridiculous it is that this is somehow a unification fight, and rightly so. But if you remove the silly alphabet belt and just look at it as a meeting of a couple of middleweight contenders, it's not a bad fight. Um, Alim Kanuli is the A-side. He's the favorite. Um, but he's been kind of hot and cold from one fight to another. So I, I think Galtieri could prove a tough fight for him. Um, I saw on DraftKings... Alan Canoli is minus 1,400 and Galtieri plus 700. That seems a bit lopsided to me. I don't think it's that clear cut um, who's going to win this fight. But um, yeah, to your point about the division with Triple G possibly retired and 
pretty far faded anyway if he isn't retired. Mm. With Jamal Charlo very inactive, this division has become extremely weak at the top. So, you know, these guys, I don't know if I view them as being at the top. I guess they kind of are by default to some degree. But I think just if you take the belts out, it's not it's not such a bad fight. The, the rest of the card, um, Keyshawn Davis is an outstanding young fighter, um, but he's actually a minus 2,500 favorite over Nahir <laughs> Albright. So probably not going to be a test there. Torres is a fun heavyweight prospect. Giovanni Marquez shows a lot of promise. Featherweight Duke Reagan is also on the card. Um, yeah, collectively, this undercard is a little more intriguing than the main event. But uh, again, the main event may be decent as long as you ignore the stupidity of it somehow being an alphabet unification. Fair enough. So that's next weekend. Uh, we have a few other noteworthy upcoming fights that have been confirmed or are rumored. Ryan Garcia will be returning to the ring on December 2nd at the Toyota Center in Houston. He'll be taking on Oscar Duarte, who's 26-1-1 with 21 KOs in a bout that'll be streamed on DAZN. Here's a strange one. Uh, on Saturday, the day before we recorded this podcast, a mocked-up fight poster of Canelo versus Carlos Adamas started doing the rounds on social media, with Adamas taking to the cesspool formerly known as Twitter to defend the matchup and appearing to hint it may actually be a thing. Um, also, reportedly, December 26th, a.k.a. Boxing Day, uh, we'll see pound-for-pound pound elite Naoya Inoue meet Marlon Tapalas to unify all the 122-pound titles in Japan. And Eddie Hearn said he believes that after Tyson Fury and Oleksandr Usyk unify the heavyweight titles, the championship will immediately become splintered again, as he doubts either man will take on IBF mandatory Philip Ergovich, leaving the way open for Anthony Joshua to face Ergovich and become, uh, and I'm about to use Hearn's words, these are not my words, Joshua will become a three-time champion. Kieran, thoughts on any of the above? So I don't really know anything about Oscar Duarte. Um, his record doesn't look like anything to write home about, but people who know far more and far better than I have, I've noticed that they've only used one word to describe him, uh, tough. He's a tough guy and a tough out, and he poses a tougher challenge than Garcia might be expected to take in a comeback bout with a new trainer after his first career defeat. So um, so we shall see, and obviously we'll, we'll look at that fight closer to the time. Um, not quite sure what to make of the Adamas thing. I, I doubt very much that there's anything in it, especially so soon after Canelo's most recent outing. Um, Adamas wouldn't be a terrible opponent for Canelo. I'd watch that fight. Um, Adamas is a dangerous fighter with genuine skills, but it would feel like a letdown compared to some of Canelo's other options, though it wouldn't have the sense of a real challenge the way a David Benavidez would. It wouldn't have a unique sense of something different the way a Crawford fight would. Um, I, honestly, if I were to make a guess, I'll bet Adamas' people put this out so that the mm. fighter can talk about it, drive attention to it, and you know, and get some attention to himself. Um, and you know, his responses on social media were, hey, nobody else is going to fight me, and, and you're all giving me a hard time for not having fights, so don't rag on it. If you don't want to see the fight, don't pay for it. Um, and now people are talking about Carlos Adamas. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's what that's all about. Um, in a way, Tapales, great. Um, and as for Joshua Hergovich, that would be a tough fight for Joshua, or, or be a winnable one for him. Once upon a time, he'd be a heavy favorite and almost overwhelming favorite. And now I'd probably say he'd be a narrow one. And it, it certainly wouldn't make him a champion again. But you know what? To take what you said about uh, Alan Canoli against uh, Galtieri, forget about it allegedly being a heavyweight title fight. Not a bad matchup of decent heavyweights, actually. Right. Again, I'd probably watch that. And uh, uh, yeah, let's worry about this whole issue of whether it actually counts as a title fight when and if the time comes. Um, I guess we've been backing into what really should be the news main event this week, which is the release of this year's International Boxing Hall of Fame ballots. Um, after several years of full-to-the-brim first-time nominees in the modern fighters category, this year is surprisingly thin on the ground when it comes to first-timers. Uh, just three, lightweight Arthur Gregorian, bantamweight Virapol Saaprom, and bantamweight Shinsuke Yamanaka. They're the new names on the ballot. All fine fighters, um, but perhaps just a little short of Hall of Fame status. Uh, new names in the non-participant category include manager Luis de Cubas, Ringside physician Flip Romanski, who will be looking to join his partner Margaret Goodman in the hall. Pioneering manager Jackie Callan. And our very good friend Fred Sternberg, publicist to the stars. Uh, new Observer nominees include John Rawling, 
and the AP's longtime Las Vegas-based correspondent, Tim Dahlberg. Uh, Eric, any initial thoughts on the ballot and anyone you're already convinced you will be voting for? So there is absolutely no one in any category this year who I'm 100% sure I'm voting for. Um, in addition to the categories you listed, I also vote on the modern women's boxers. And I will reiterate what I've said every year since this category was born. Requiring two inductees a year is completely unwarranted. Um, Ed Brophy, if you're listening, it's not too late to make a change, preferably before some female fighter with like an eight and six record who never fought beyond eight rounders ends up in the Hall of Fame. Um, the observer category is always a tough one for me. We know a lot of these nominees personally. There are about a half dozen I'd kind of like to vote for. I don't know for sure who will get my votes this year. I'm very happy Fred Sternberg is on the non-participant ballot. And I have no doubt he'll get in eventually, very possibly this year, even because A, he's deserving and excellent at his job. But B, the people who vote on this are mostly people who know Fred. And to know Fred is to love Fred. So he has a certain baked in edge here. Um, But this is an even tougher category than Observer. I see 11 or 12 names here that I think are hall worthy. All I know for sure is that if the parenthetical next to your name says administrator, which means you run an alphabet organization, I will not be voting for you. Not this year, not ever. Um, so, okay, the the main event of this news main event, the modern fighters, wow, is it wide open. Um, I really honestly don't have a clue who I'm voting for. I have a very hard time predicting who will get the votes. You know, with Rafa Marquez getting in last year, there are no longer any fighters on the ballot that I feel really passionately about. Of the three newcomers, Saha Pram is a solid maybe. Um, he he had a very good career. I truly have no one that I'm sure I'm voting for. There are a handful of guys on the ballot. I have voted for at certain times in the past. Gennaro Hernandez, Joel Casamayor. If I had to make a prediction, I would say, um, even though I don't expect he'll get my vote, I think Iron Boy Calderon will be among the inductees. I think he has enough support at this point from enough people who overrate his accomplishments and don't care that there were other good strawweights to fight when he was around and that he fought none of them. I think he's going in this year. That's about the best prediction I can make, uh, but it is wide open. I thought you were about to soften on your position on Ivan Calderon, and I thought, well, this is a moment, but no, you stuck <laughs> the ship in right at the last minute. I did. I, I, I have softened to the extent that if he gets voted in, I don't think I'll be that upset about it because there aren't some way more deserving guys on the ballot uh, that, that he would be getting in ahead of. I guess that's your I, I did a little rant last year that if he gets in and Rafa Marquez doesn't, I'm going to be really upset. So now that Rafa Marquez is in and there isn't some slam dunk, in my view, sitting on the ballot. Yeah, I still don't consider Calderon quite a Hall of Famer, but I will. I, I will grit my teeth and uh, and not make a big stink about it if he gets the votes this year. Yeah, um, I'm I'm going to agree with you that the observer and non-participant categories are where the real backlogs are developing here. Yeah. Um, there there are some excellent candidates in the observer category. I'm going to stick to my soapbox here and say that I believe that Bob Canobio and John Shepard, the founders of CompuBox and BoxRex, respectively, absolutely deserve to be in. I mean, their impact on how we consume and understand and and research boxing has been you know significant um but then that said you look at others in that category you got wally matthews dolberg who we just mentioned nick charles ross greenberg david dinkins alex wallow glenn leach a lot of them have an excellent case for enshrinement um yeah in the non-participant category i'm not even going to pretend to be objective of course i'd love for fred to go in um but here again you've got abel sanchez miguel diaz rodney berman kenny adams al gavin among others um but I, I quite like the chances of all three of these first name, first time nominees. Jackie Callan has got to surely um, have a good chance of getting in. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, Hamansky and Sternberg joining her. And as for the modern men, yeah, it is a chance for a few folks who've been on the fringes to get in. And in addition to Ivan Calderon, I wonder if this is the year Ricky Hatton gets in. Hmm. Um You've also got guys like Miguel Happy Loro who had a pretty good career, who deserves some consideration. Um, maybe even of any Paz. I don't know. But uh, 
definitely a a very different kind of induction class to the last couple that we've had that's for sure yeah okay uh moving on we have a couple of significant fights from this past weekend to recap uh first in sheffield england lee wood retained a featherweight belt with a dramatic seventh round stoppage of former titleist josh warrington kieran what did you see here as wood pulled this one out this was an entertaining highly entertaining a slightly odd scrap you had Two guys who aren't quite at elite level, one who's looking to build on a late career resurgence and one who's trying to keep his career alive. And they combine for a really fun fight. Um, Wood is turning into a highly entertaining and crowd-pleasing fighter, but I'm not sure he's helping his career longevity or his post-retirement health with some of these fights lately. That that Michael Conlon bout was a war. Then came the knockout to Mauricio Lara. And in this contest, he appeared to be playing into Warrington's hands by standing in front of him and looking to slug it out rather than boxing the way he did in the Lara rematch. Uh, I, I gave Wood the first two rounds, but then Warrington, I gave him the next four as he was really tearing into Wood. I had Warrington winning the seventh too, but then as round seven came to a close, Wood landed a southpaw right hook, a left, another combo, and a brutal hook, and a follow-up left as Warrington was on his way down as the bell sounded. Warrington made it to his feet, but the ref decided he was done and called it off. Given that the round had ended, he was already in his corner. There's a pretty strong case to be made that the guy deserved a minute to recover and at least see what he looked like coming out for the eighth. That said, he did not only look a little bit out on his feet, he actually stumbled in the corner shortly afterwards. So uh, I don't know. It, it is what it is. He, he certainly looked in a pretty bad state there. Um, Wood continues to overachieve in many ways, I think. He'd do so much better in many ways if he boxed the way he did in the Lara rematch, but then he wouldn't be as remotely as popular as he's become with fans. Um, he did seem to struggle with his weight for this fight, uh, however, and I suspect he'll end up moving up. Uh, Warrington, however, I think at this point may want to start thinking about retirement. He's had a very good career, but he's starting now to to lose more than he wins. Uh, later Saturday at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas, one of my favorite venues, uh, Gilberto Zerdo Ramirez and Joe Smith Jr. both moved up to cruiserweight. And it was Zerdo who prevailed at the end of 10 entertaining rounds, winning 99-91 on all three cards. Eric, how impressed were you with Zerdo's performance? And does he seem to you to have a bright future at cruiserweight? Quite possibly. I, I mean, he just became overnight the biggest name at cruiserweight, uh, mm. not ca- not counting Jake Paul, of course. But, you know, among among serious contenders, he's now the division's biggest star. Uh, And in this fight against Joe Smith, um, the first thing that jumped out was how huge Zerto was. He is a full cruiserweight. This seems to be where he belongs and probably has belonged for a couple of years. Uh, I mean, Smith looked like a light heavyweight, you know, just with maybe a few spare pounds on him, whereas Ramirez looked like a cruiserweight. And Zerto boxed well. He showed some good moves. He had the speed advantage and he used it. But... You know, th- this was a way better and, and more competitive fight than the scores would indicate. And I'm not saying that the scores were way off. I had it 98-92, so just slightly different than the 99-91s. But, you know, Smith was in almost every round. He was landing good shots. He was never badly hurt. Um, it was a competitive fight, if reasonably lopsided in the scoring. Um, I was a little disappointed afterward to hear Smith say he was planning to stay at cruiserweight because I think, you know, he's not at the finish line of his career, but I just his power just isn't going to do to cruiserweights what it did for years at 175. But, you know, hey, he he knows his body and whether 175 has gotten out of reach for him. But, you know, Zerto is the one who can maybe snag a title at this weight. And I would certainly expect that he'll get his shot. He brings as big a fan base as any contender in the division. Um, So I, I would think the belt holders should all be angling to defend against him. All right, Kieran, we had a week off from playing the fight game, uh, but we're back. It's back. Are you ready to stress out and buckle under the pressure? As as always. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, And I know we always say we're not going to set expectations and create extra pressure. So (laughs) I will definitely not tell you that I think this is possibly gettable in one. I will not tell you that, even though it's true. Good. (laughs) I'm glad you didn't. Yes. Okay. here we go. Clue one. This was the second-to-last fight of an all-time great's career, his final victory, and the man he defeated in his third-to-last fight won via first-round KO on the undercard of this fight. 
So is it Oscar de la Hoya beating Steve Forbes? It is not, but that's a ah. pretty good guess. Now I'm trying to think who Oscar would. Well, so, okay, it wouldn't have worked because Oscar's third to last fight, he didn't defeat anyone. He got defeated by Floyd. But nevertheless, that's a pretty good, the rest of the clue, that lines up. It was the second to last okay. fight of an all-time greats career in de la Hoya and his final victory. So, yeah, that's that's a pretty good off the top of your dome guess, but it is not correct in this case. Okay. Uh, well, you don't. I'm, you, gonna, I'm not going to give up yet. I'm going to okay. have one more guess. Oh well, I don't. I think I don't think that's within the rules. I think you get one. Oh, guess okay, fair enough. Oh, all right, carry on. <laughs> yes, all right. Fair if you enough. want to talk things out for a moment before I give the next clue, you're welcome to. But you don't get to lodge another official guess. Oh yeah, that's actually pretty reasonable, actually. Yeah, fair enough. That is. That is. Yeah, that that should be the rule. I'm not going to disagree with that. Uh, maybe it's coming in a future clue, but you're not going to give me any indication of when roughly this was, are you? Or this, or is this going to come in a clue? Funny you should ask. Clue two should give you a much better <laughs> sense of the time frame. <laughs> okay. Okay, here we go. Clue two. When referee Mills Lane stopped this fight in the 11th round, Dalby Shirley and Jerry Roth both had the winner leading in 97-94, while Dave Moretti had him up 96-95. So it was in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. Probably the 90s. KO11, did you say? KO11, yes. It was the last win of an all-time great second to last fight last win of an all-time great i will i will say before you possibly make a guess that one thing that you said in there sort of uh trying to narrow it down was incorrect not the 90s that's all i'll say Okay, because it was clearly Las Vegas. If it was, I'll be sure. Yes, no, it, yes, yeah. The, the Las Vegas part was correct. Uh, but this, I will give you an additional clue that this fight did not take place in the 1990s. Okay, so the 80s or the 2000s, probably then. Not the 2000s. I th Mills had stopped by the 2010s. I yeah, dev I. Yeah, I'll I'll go ahead and just uh, give you a little extra guidance and say the 80s, because I think Mills's last fight was around 99, 2000, somewhere in that. Okay. Range. So it okay. is it is in the 1980s. You have you have weaseled your way to a free half a clue. <laughs> Thoroughly deserved as well. Uh, I feel I'm getting farther away than I was when I excitedly thought I had it all sorted <laughs> the first, with the first first time around. OK, keep all going, right. please. OK, clue three. This fight at Caesars Palace Outdoor Arena saw the victorious champion prevail over a challenger who entered the ring with a record of 25 and 0, 25 KOs. So again, this was uh, the second to last fight of an all-time great's career and the final victory of that career. And it came by KO 11 against someone who came in 25 and 0 with 25 knockouts. This is one of those where I know now that people are screaming at me. <laughs> uh, they may be. They may. There may be some screaming going on. I, I, at least some under the breath muttering. Okay. Um... Remember that I began with a uh, second to last fight of an all-time greats career. So an all-time great right. who was uh, winding winding down his career in the 80s. Marvin Hagler? Mm. Yes. Oh, so his last win was Mugabe? Was it John Mugabe his last yes. win? Yes. Now you've got it. I gave you a few little bonus hints and nudges along the way, but you ultimately did get it off. Three clues. Marvin Hagler, KO11, John Mugabe, March 10th, 1986. Ah, okay. All right. And then I can't remember. What's the second part of the clue again? The second part of... Who, who, who won the... Ah. Who, who on the undercard? Who was that then? Oh, well, funny you should ask, because clue four was going to say... <laughs> Uh, I, I, by the way, I was very confident you would get it by clue four, uh, if, okay. if, if not sooner. I, this was one where I thought it was possible to get it in one or two or three, but definitely four. Four was 
On the undercard, it was Tommy Hearns who scored a KO1 over James Schuler, and in attendance that night at Caesars Palace were the likes of Ray Leonard and Michael J. Fox. Ah, well, there you go. Well, that Michael J. Fox thing would have absolutely put me over the top. There. Well, if you if you there. had carefully read and memorized my oral history of Leonard Hagler, <laughs> you would remember that Ray Leonard talked about sitting next to Michael J. Fox while watching this fight and telling him, Michael, I can beat that guy. Uh, and Michael J. Fox telling Ray Leonard, you're out of your mind. Uh, well, I do have a, a printout of it in my <laughs> pile, along with all your oral history. So in you know, your I, pile, I, come on, at the top of your pile. Well, no, the the entire pile is your oral history. Oh, it's strictly okay. All right, that's fine. But I think I think that Ray Leonard being there and Tommy Hearns yes. being his previous yep. fight hopefully yep. would have given it away. But yep. uh, if by chance it had not, clue five. This was a real beast of a fight to kick off the Showtime boxing program, and the winner came through in marvelous style. Ah, yes, there you go. That would have been yes, okay. So we would have been in real trouble if I hadn't gotten it in five. <laughs> I think but there so. You go. <laughs> all right that was good and significantly less obscure than the one i hit you with last week or two weeks ago so. uh i guess so it, the 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 fight you hit me with was was obscure but the fighters were not at least. Indeed. but uh Indeed. but yeah this is a, a a more famous fight certainly and um again the uh the very first fight in the history of showtime boxing uh Hagler over mugabe well, there you go. All right. Uh, let's finish things off with this week's top five list, shall we, for Jove? Um, two weeks ago, you asked me to name my top five boxers under 25. And because it was specifically under 25 and not 25 and under, some names who might otherwise have qualified are not included. Bad luck, Ryan Garcia and Sebastian Fandora, who would have qualified if you'd asked me this a few months ago. But here we go. Um, but we have quite a few names who do fit. And a few who come mighty close. And so let's begin in the time-honored tradition with my number five, shall we? Yes. Um, and my number five is Santos Ayas, 21. Uh, super welterweight. Uh, his record presently 17-0 with 11 stoppages. Um, I have him, spoiler alert, just ahead of Sean Davis on this list because of his extreme youth. Um, uh, he's actually just turned 22 rather than being 21. And I mean, quite recently turned 22. But he may already be closing in on a title shot. Um, a highly decorated amateur. He most recently knocked out uh, Roberto Valenzuela. He looks like he could very well be Puerto Rico's next big star in the making. Zayas looks like he could be pretty special. Yep. So as you started saying uh, his name, I got a little nervous that we could have the exact same list because I, too, have Xander Zayas at number five. <laughs> However, then you said something that makes me confident uh, we don't have the exact same list. So, uh, OK, good. So, so that's on yours. Keyshawn is higher than five on my list. Yes. OK, um, but uh, but excellent pick. Yeah. Zayas looks like all upside at, the, at this point. Yeah. Uh, number four, I put Jared Anderson. 23 heavyweight, presently 16 and 0 with 15 stoppages. Yes, he was taking the distance for the first time recently. And he has been raising some eyebrows with some of his talk about already thinking of retirement. Um, there's been a bit of skepticism about some of his last couple of performances. There are question marks, but he is just 23 years old. He has wins over the likes of Charles Martin and George Arias and Jerry Forrest, not by any means a murderer's row, but a pretty decent level of opposition for such a young man. Plus, of course, he does have that fight ending power. I don't know how long he's going to be around or what the future holds for him. And to be honest, I had a bit more difficulty figuring out what to do with Jared Anderson than I did with just about anybody else. Um, I would have perhaps had less difficulty uh, six, seven months ago. But for now, he's on my list. And I almost put Zayas ahead of him. But for now, he is on my list at number four. Yeah, he's a tricky one to decide where to place. I had him actually at number three myself. But okay. it's, it's a little bit like the conundrum of where to put the heavyweight champion on your pound for pound list like heavyweights yeah. are a little different here in that i don't think pound for pound he's as skillful as the other guys on my list yeah. but heavyweight gives him a clearer path to big money and big fame and uh all, all the all the things that go along with that so it was a little bit of a balancing act of figuring out where to put jared anderson and, and then you also mentioned the how much longer is he going to be doing it? He keeps hinting, not even hinting, saying I will be retired by age 27 or something like that. So yeah, uh, that, that could be limiting his ceiling. So yeah, it's a tough one. I had him at number three. So I'm very curious. So one of my top three is not on your list. So I'm very curious how that's going to be, who that would be. I imagine it's going to be the one I'm going to say next. My number three, Elijah Garcia. 
Uh, age 22, middleweight, 16 and 0 with 13 KOs. Uh, I've become increasingly impressed with this young man. Uh, of course, we most recently saw him uh, just a week ago scoring an excellent stoppage win over Armando Resendez on the Canelo Charlo undercard. That goes with victories this year of Amalcar Vidal and Kevin Salgado. The record of his three defeated opponents this year, 45-2-1. That's not too shabby for a 22-year-old. Um, combined with the state of the middleweight division right now, as we've talked about, Garcia, who you know also has very good footwork as well as good skills and power, looks like he could well be in line to hold at least an alphabet strap sooner rather than later. You, your guess was correct. He is my, he was my number six that I kept debating whether it should be him or Zayas in the five spot. Um, and I can't honestly give you a particularly good reason why I chose to uh, put in Zayas over Garcia there. It's, it's a real close call. Um, he's tremendous high upside prospect clearly. And I actually had jotted down that he's 20 years old. You kept saying 22 and I may have jotted it down wrong, or you may have it wrong. I can't remember. And uh, I can't be bothered to actually. Google yeah. Such things I think while you we're might. Talking. Yeah. Indeed, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's entirely possible that you are correct there. And at some point I was drifting in and out and thinking of other people of the same age, but there you go. But he's, he's very young. I like he's definitely, he's definitely um, under 25 qualifies for this so, list. Yes. And uh, yeah, uh, a fine, a fine name to include here, even if he didn't quite make the cut for me. So I'm going to guess our top two are probably the same then. Um, I think we've got very similar lists. My number two, Jesse Bam Rodriguez, um, 23 flyweight, 18 and 0, 11 stoppages. 2022 was a huge breakout year for him, of course. Um, he stepped up from flyweight to superfly to defeat Carlos Quadras and Srisaketso Rungvisai. This year has been quieter for him, but in December he'll clash with Sonny Edwards and what promises to be a terrific fight. And he probably would have won fighter of the year last year had it not been for Dimitri Bivol. He looks like he has what it takes to be at the top for a while. So uh, he is on my list. He's not in my top two. He's my number four, uh, Bam Rodriguez. Okay. Um and, you know, I, I was struggling a bit. I was wondering, as you were putting together your list before we actually started recording, whether you would ask me criteria wise, are we talking about what they've done so far or just how good we think they are or what their potential is? Because we never really defined it. And so mm. you didn't ask me and I figured that's fine. It's kind of open to interpretation. And I think we'll see as we get to the top of mind that I was uh, going a little more with the talent that I believe I see, even if it's not entirely oh, proven yet. Um, so, but Bam, yes, if it were based purely on resume to this point, then I think you're right to put Bam at number two, but I have him at number four. And that, that's where I leaned, actually. And I thought about yeah. asking for clarification and then listened again to what you said. And I kind of felt, interpreted it as being who's the best right now. Um, so, right. so that's why I put him there. Either way, I don't think there's much question about who's number one. By the way, I just checked you were right about Elijah Garcia. Okay. Um, I think it's got to be Devin Haney, 24 years old, super lightweight at the moment, 30 and 0, 15 KOs. There's no question whatsoever about him being at the top of my list. It's amazing to think he's only 24. Um, he won an alphabet belt in 2019 became undisputed lightweight champion in 2022 with an easy win over George Cambosis. Even if you disagree with his being awarded a win against Vasily Lomachenko, he was at the very least highly competitive, which is no small feat. He's now moved up to 140 pounds. He's jumping in with both feet, taking on Regis Progre in his first outing at the weight. Uh, the weight. In terms of achievement, certainly he's head and shoulders above anyone else in this age class right now. Yes, in terms of achievement, he is, but I put him at number two because I, I was, I guess I was thinking of it sort of, and again, I didn't spell this out, so everyone is free to sort of decide how the, what they want to base this on, but uh, I was thinking of it, I guess, a little more of like, if I could buy stock in this fighter right gotcha. now, um, and and... I am very high on Devin Haney. He's an outstanding fighter. Uh, I agree with what you said, that even though I didn't think he deserved the win over Vasily Lomachenko, having a razor-close fight with Vasily Lomachenko is not a knock on you. If anything, it's a credit to you, and it shows just how good Devin Haney is. Um, but I am blown away by the talent of Keyshawn Davis and think gotcha. that he has the brightest future of any of these guys. I am most confident in him as a potential future number one pound for pound kind of guy. So I put him at number one, but certainly if it's based on accomplishment to this point, Devin Haney is the correct choice for number one. Yeah. And it was on that basis that I had Keyshawn as my number six. Um, he, he shows bags of talent. He is only nine and oh. 
but he looks like he's absolutely terrific. Um, and for me, it was a bit of a choice between him and Xander Zayas. Uh, for me, based on where they're at right now, I, I was reasonably confident with my top three. I thought the rest was was uncertain after that. Um, others who I had just outside, Diego Pacheco, 22, mm-hmm. super middleweight. Um, Brandon Lee still, yeah. um, uh, 28 and 0 now with 23. Despite losing officially, Jesus Ramos, uh, still only 22. He's 20 and 1. Um, and then when you've got guys who look like they could be good, really strong, but still with relatively uh, limited resumes, I've got guys like Callum Walsh, Adam Azim, Richard Torres Jr., who we mentioned earlier, Felix Diaz Jr. There's quite a few in among that kind of 8-0 and o kind of level who certainly look very talented, but I would want to see a little bit more of them yet before we start putting them on these lists. And so that that's the interesting difference there is that I had a slightly different interpretation of what you wanted uh, than, than you did when you said it, which is fine. That's just two different ways of looking at it. Right. Yep. I left it kind of vague and open to interpretation. And and I had some of the same runner-up honorable mention type names as you with a couple of additional ones, or I guess uh, three three in total here that, uh, that you haven't mentioned yet. One is 19-year-old Ashton Silve. Uh, I thought was worth oh, a mention. Of course. Although, although he again, he's in that hasn't yep. proven anything yet. Just yep. seems to have all the potential. And then a pair of twenty-three-year-olds who are a little more proven: Yoannis uh, Teyes, who we saw mm. uh, out in Vegas looking impressive, and uh, Edwin De Los Santos, who uh, mm. does have one loss on his record but has come on strong since then. Also twenty-three. But um, yeah, there's a there is th- first of all thank goodness for box rec for listing uh the pound for pound its own pound for pound list hundreds of names deep and showing you everyone's age that makes <laughs> this a lot easier uh and then it, it was just interesting to see just how many talented fighters under 25 there are out there i think it's a re- i think we've said this before on the podcast we're in a pretty good state in terms of boxing talent right mm-hmm. now you, you you look at is some of the fighters who have really competing hard to be on the pound for pound list and can't quite crack it and, and some of the ones coming through god boxing does its best to destroy itself but <laughs> but still i think some of the talent that's coming through is really 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 promising yeah all right that will do it for this week's episode of showtime boxing with raskin and mulvaney we will be back next week with a recap of zoo versus mendoza among other things until then thank you very much for listening be safe be kind be well.